All right, so right at the top of the show, I just want to let everyone know listening to this that uh, this is going to be the uh, last episode of Truck About for two weeks. Uh, we are going to take a little summer hiatus. Uh, I Vacation. am going to uh, get in an airplane, and I think Richard is going to be in the woods somewhere. Um, we haven't taken a break on Truck About ever. In the actually. six years we've been doing this, I think we're very overdue. So, uh, you know, thanks very much for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks. But we've got Alice and Riddles to talk about. So, Alice! let's just dive right in. I mean, my last note for this episode is, God, are we going to have fun working out the sexual politics of this? Because, Jesus, this episode is... I mean, I'm tired of Tom Gets a Mistress episode. I'm tired of Tom Gets a new toy that he goes crazy with. Um... I kind of like that this episode is, again, with uh, the Branna Braga season theme, uh, the episode is about this pattern that the character gets into. It's about the character characters recognizing that pattern and, uh, most importantly, about Bellana recognizing this pattern and saying, you know, this is Tom. This is who he is going to be. Am I okay with this? And I respect that because, I, I mean... It, in a relationship, that is a thing you deal with, right? Like, you recognize this is the person's cycle, and yes, Tom is going to be a little more circumspect about what toys he plays with from now on, but he is going to get the itch to design something else and or come up, you know, make a holodeck of another new car or something like that, and Bellana just has to deal with that. If That is the cost of admission of being Tom Paris's wife. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with all of that. I, I kind of feel like Alice would have been a better episode if it had jettisoned the, the science fiction plot of the week because I don't really think that the Alice plot works very well in terms of here here is uh, uh, i don't know is is is, pa- is tom paris having a psychotic episode is he hallucinating this it, it's left a little bit ambiguous or a little bit unclear and you know it's all it's all fine but i really do feel like they need to figure out a way to make the tom and Bellana relationship more interesting because I, f- I mean, I continually get to this point with their relationship where I always feel yeah. bad for Bellana mm. that she could do a lot better than Tom Paris, and she continually is sort of, like, trod upon. And I don't... Like, it's just kind of... Like, this is one of those episodes that is just kind of there. This is a filler episode. It's not really telling us anything that we didn't already know, and it's just kind of entertaining i guess you know i i i I, that's actually clicking something to me where this is a series where kes recognizes that even though she loves neelix dearly even though he is a great person and that the two of them will have this connection and are very strongly together that he's not the person who is going to romantically bring her to where she wants to go and that they do have a really solid, strong friendship that uh, like if Kes can do that, don't we believe that Balana can get to that point too? Like to, to, to recognize like, gee, you know, Tom is a lot of fun. Is he just a friend of mine or why are, why are we in a relationship exactly? Why aren't we friends? And it hasn't, 
although obviously friendship is a strong component of a re- of a relationship the show has not effectively answered the question of well here is what it is that's a core of an actual relationship between them that does transcend that friendship here is why they are in a relationship and not just friends because I don't know. So far, it does look like one of those cases where it's just we're together, we've been together, and we're still together, and, you know, eventually we'll just get married because we've been together five years kind of a thing. And Yeah, because women, I mean, straight men and straight women can't be friends. Um, <laughs> but no, no, but I mean, like, I, it's, I mean, that is a thing in relationships, you know, when you are with in a relationship with somebody, and even though it's not... You know, the passion's lost. You're still there at times. I mean, that that happens. I'm not sure if the show... The show is depicting one while insisting the other. Yes. I mean, this is this is an interesting thing for, for Star Trek to be doing, of course, because this is... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but this is the only long-term relationship that we have ever seen between two main characters on a Star Trek show. Mm, yeah. Um, you I know, mean, certainly there was well, Cassidy Yates and Cisco from DS9, but Cassidy Yates was not a main character, and she also wasn't there a lot. What about, um, you like— You know, Worf and Dax, of course. Yeah, okay, Worf and Dax. Okay, I, uh, I, I forgot about Worf and Dax uh, probably uh, because I don't like Worf, but— Also, you're forgetting about Keiko and uh, O'Brien. Yeah, but, but Keiko but, wasn't a main character. No, and that is fair. And the show has – there was never a question between Keiko and Miles that, oh, no, man, maybe they just have a friendship. Like their relationship you buy from the moment you start seeing it. Like they work as husband and wife immediately. And maybe that's why Tom Paris and Bellana don't work very well for me is that it does feel like a retread in some respects mm. of of Dax and War from DS9 where here are two characters that get together for reasons and I don't think either one of us ever really bought that relationship it it, it wasn't like Terry Farrell and Michael Dorn had insane chemistry on screen together or anything like that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in a lot of ways Dax and Worf were very different people, and it didn't necessarily make a ton of sense that they would be attracted to each other. Whereas I feel like Bellana and Tom Paris are pretty compatible. I think that they would be friends, as you said. Yeah. And and we are just supposed to assume that there is sexual chemistry there, even though I mean, charitably speaking, you know, Robert McNeil and Roxanne Dawson are fine actors, but but I don't think yeah. the two characters have a, a ton of chemistry in that way. But I mean, I guess it is just kind of like it, it's just kind of a their relationship. Well, and here's the question that the show could get into, which is we are in a limited situation. There is a, there are only how many people are left on Voyager at this point? Like 100? Yeah, there's a there's about a, there's only about 50 other women that other human women on this ship right now or humanoid or frankly, people that he's going to be seeing every day, most likely. And. Out of them, there is a very there's probably a small pool of women who are single, women who would be interested in all of that, and so yes, Bellana and Tom Paris are together because they're on this limited ship, and as Tom says very early on in the series, like we got to pick somebody or else we'll be single for this entire ship. If Voyager is in the Alpha Quadrant and there are as many women and men as you would ever want to meet. Do Bellana and Tom, are they anything more than just friends in that scenario? Like, are they together 
just because we get along well enough and better and, and this sucks and it's nice to be with somebody. Yeah, I mean, we we know from experience that that Tom Paris is a horn dog and will hit on any woman that is yeah. within about uh, you know six inches of him. Um, that is not a penis joke. I'm sorry <laughs> that came out that way. Uh, and that, I buy you know, that because- he's also getting to the age where he's getting a little bored of that too. I mean, they have made it clear that he is getting older and getting a bit more disciplined, even if he's dragging his heels. But yeah, I mean, Tom Tom Paris slots very nicely into to a standard trope, which is a a a player, quote unquote, yeah. that that becomes older and a little bored and a little settled down, but he's still not completely comfortable with that. I mean, let's not forget yeah. the 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 second time that we see Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager in the pilot episode, he is in a shuttlecraft going to DS Nine, hitting on some random yeah. ensign that's with him, like here's or the th- lieutenant or whatever yeah. she was. So. It's not as though this is a character that had much of a defining personality besides horny fuck up. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, the show has gotten out of that box with Tom Paris, of course, and has sort of put him in another box, which is, all right, here's a man who has settled down. Here's a man who is becoming more comfortable with responsibility, getting a little bit older. He's in this serious relationship, but he still has a desire to you know get subsumed in other things and what he is getting obsessed with is is ships essentially yeah. and that's all fine but i don't know that that's that's not anything we haven't really seen before on star trek so it feels a little bit like what is the point of this and and the other the other part of it too is that to go back to something you know you said a couple minutes ago where there's only 40 or 50 or 60 eligible women on the ship. I would buy that explanation for the Bellana and Tom relationship a lot more if we saw a lot of other characters also pairing off. Of course. Off. But but we don't and and I think this is a point we get to with Voyager a lot where where we start to talk about an episode and the cracks of the series as it is constructed start yeah. to con- start to show up because that the Tom and Bellana relationship totally makes sense in terms of here is a very yeah. limited pool of people to date, but it doesn't feel like anybody else is feeling that pressure. I mean, did the doctor give everyone else like hormone suppressants or something? I, I, I you know, I'm not sure what to make of that. So it comes across as a little underbaked. Yeah, I mean, maybe just everybody has a lot of you know has their personal holodeck time and. While we see the G-rated, G and PG-rated stuff, I mean, there are there is a lot of adult hollow entertainment going on. I am sure when they go on a planet and have a nice shore leave, people are going to brothels. Like, which, as Discovery has made it clear, brothels exist in the Star Trek universe, so thank you, Discovery. Hey, now, don't be sex negative, Richard. Brothels are fine. I have no problem with brothels. <laughs> no, I have no problem with brothels either. I have a problem with Star Trek Discovery, but that's a different story. Um... I guess where this episode falters, or, or at least becomes annoying and stupid, is the is that the ship is incarnated as a lady, as specifically Tom's ex, not ex girlfriend, but the one girl that Tom couldn't have, and that's weird because well, this episode is definitely about Tom having. Uh, it's not so much that he's being tempted towards the technology of the ship which is fine but that explicitly he is 
given a sexual temptation away from Balana. I mean, that is what the basic symbolism of this episode is, is Tom almost falling into sexual temptation. And that's a little weird. I don't know. And yeah, I mean, weird, I agree with you. I, yeah. I think that, I mean, A, I'm, I, was it explicitly stated in the episode that the, the, the Alice character in this episode looked like the woman that... that... That was ambiguous. It was definitely named after that woman. Right. And, I mean, I would not be surprised if that, surprised if that was the intention that um, she appeared, at, you know, that that's, she, she scanned his mind and appeared in that form just to... But, I, again, I didn't notice any line of Alice. Oh my God, you look just like her, or something like that. Would yeah, there was nothing like that. But I mean, that's fine. I mean, we yeah. don't need everything to be spelled out. I think it's okay if you're just supposed to infer that information. But you're right. Like, it doesn't. I don't necessarily need to see an episode that is uh, its driving force or its driving impetus is about, I guess, Tom cheating on Balana. I I don't know what to make of this. And and once again, we get to the sort of retrograde sexual politics of Berman era Star Trek because I don't necessarily see any problem with Tom having sex with another woman. I mean, as long as Balan is okay with it. I mean, now, there of course, is that's a... outside the scope of this show, but it, it just feels a little, it, it feels lame. Yeah. And there is a bit of, and again, it's, conf- I, I think part of it is a little confused about it because there's also, you know, addiction uh metaphors here i mean in some ways this reminds me of was it the muse what it was called where uh jake meets that woman who's sucking out his brain and he's writing the story and i mean that was a very clear uh creativity coming out of substance abuse metaphor and there's a few resonances of that here too he is acting crazy he assaults balana at some point he 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 because of Alice, who has literally, in, who was literally injecting him with wires in this. I mean, if, if that is a, that's very clear drug imagery to me. And so, but but to me, it just seems like all right, pile more stuff on, try and get this end. The episode cannot bear the weight of so many metaphors. Yes, because I I think if you really want to tease this out, I think there's there's two main problems with the the plot of the episode. Number one, of course, is that I never like episodes of Star Trek or episodes of anything where the plot could be solved in about a minute if they just talk to each other. You know, if if the if the ship's intelligence, I don't know, just said, hey, Tom Paris, I want to go back to this particle fountain. Can you take me there? Yeah. I'm alive. Tom Paris would have gone, oh, yeah, okay, sure, that sounds fine. Let me talk to Captain Janeway, but yeah. I'm sure we can make that happen. You know, so that's that's number one. I mean, it's, it's, it's when Star Trek episodes forget that this is a Star Trek show. And, well, there, there, there's a line in it that when Bellana goes over to Janeway and tells her, you know, Chip tried to kill me, Tom attacked me, and she literally, Janeway literally says, well, that doesn't sound like Tom. And I mean... Again, this is a – I can certainly see Janeway being surprised. I, 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 I can certainly see her, 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 her knowing that Tom under normal circumstances would never do this to Bolana. Obviously, he – I mean if you're a captain of a Star Trek ship and you're told somebody is acting wildly out of character, you just think, oh shit, we've got another possessed by a computer – 
an alien virus, mind control, like it's something. But 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 yes, I believe that this is happening to you. You know, like especially yeah, I mean, after no, you know, after seven of nine realizing that she wasn't raped after all. Like this is a really there are so many fucking gross moments in this. Yes, and I, I I will say in this episode's defense that Janeway does have that yes. reaction, but then she very quickly goes, "Okay, well, let's figure this out," and so she believes Balan after a Unfair. momentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm I'm willing to accept that within the bounds of of human interaction. Yeah, fair enough. But and it, to me, it's almost like I don't know. It's almost like a reaction. Like, are you serious? You know, like, like of course that's that's filler. That's a surprised expression. No, it's no, no. I fair. Like, it's not actually asking the, the the question. Are you serious about telling me? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Like, is there but any I, possible way you could be mistaken? No. Okay. Well, let's deal with this. You know, like, right. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I want to say to the episode's credit, that yeah. is what happens. And then I, I also think there's a larger issue surrounding the, the sort of sexual politics of this episode in that, you know, leaving aside Tom Paris and treating Alice the ship as a character for a minute, this episode falls very hard into, a, you know, a very upsetting trope, a very upsetting cliche that the only way that a woman can get a man to do something that she needs or wants is to basically, like, charm him with her feminine wiles or something. And I'm not on board for that. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to do it as... You know, Polana, Tom, come back. You know, I know you're in there. That the real you is there, but it's it's. Well, no, I mean in terms of the character oh, Alice, not of Polana. I'm sorry, Miss. Uh, uh, yeah, no, no, no. That that's because you could see a version of that show which is tempting Tom into the life of adventure and freedom, not necessarily in a sexual way, but which might be enough temptation for Tom because he is somebody who. I mean, we had that episode already, but, you know, he is somebody who can be shown all of these galaxies that he he can be the first to explore. I think you could be the first to explore a new galaxy is something that would be a temptation for Tom Paris. Maybe not necessarily after his adventures on Voyager, but would be a little bit thrilling to him. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I think that, that you would have to, you know, to make that work, you would need to make the ship in this episode more of an actual character and not just a plot point. And I think that's what is the the most disappointing thing about the episode is that it 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 just comes across as Star Trek Voyager doing a horror movie and not doing it extraordinarily well. I it's, I don't Star Trek it's very fatal rogue. attraction. Right, exactly. And it's like, well, I can just watch Fatal Attraction. Also, I'm not going to watch Fatal Attraction, but I, I, I don't I don't know why we needed to see this. It's just like the execution of it is very flat and there's no there's no twist to it that makes it sing in any way shape or form. It it it's just very sort of like, oh, if this is the kind of episode you were going to write, this is exactly the kind of episode you were going to write. Yeah. I am not surprised by any of this. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's a pop song we've heard a dozen times before, and it's not even a really catchy one. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's move on to riddles. But before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind all of you listening to this that this podcast is supported by you, the listener. We do rely on your generous donations each and every month to continue to bring Trek About to you. So if you want us to continue, please go to patreon.com slash Show and give now. All right. Let's talk about riddles, which... I feel like is a lesser version of Tuvix. I feel like it's a less problematic version of Tuvix. Yeah, I can see that argument for sure. I because, mean, I, I mean, it, 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 it hinges on what, uh, honestly, it hinges on Tuvok being legitimately brain damaged in the second half of the episode when he's at, and I mean, he does play the role very well as somebody who is very excited, but there is clearly something off. There is something wrong here. And, you know, a- as wonderful as this version of Tuvok is, number one, it's not going to be just destroyed. At the end, it does make it clear that Tuvok remembers all of this, still feels all of this, and is maybe going to be a bit more able to express that in his way, just as Neelix at the end learns how to read. That, you know, Tuvok making a joke is an extraordinary uh gesture of friendship and affection and gratitude towards him uh you know he is still there but there is something legitimately wrong he has it does have a medical condition in this that needs fixing and uh you know it's not as if it's not as if you're killing a person to save other you know you're not making that calculation i would say yeah i mean certainly two vixen and riddles are are, are two very different episodes and i think that that Tuvix, I mean, I don't like the episode, and and it makes me angry. But I can, I can respect it because it elicits an emotional and intellectual response for me. I Whereas r- riddles, what what am I supposed to get out of this? You know, I think that it really does feel like the show trying to do a less controversial version of Tuvix and not really pulling it off very interestingly. You know, I just, there, there's a lot of it, which I like seeing Neelix and Tuvix, Tuvix. I like seeing Neelix and Tuvok together. I, I do enjoy their relationship. And I think that Ethan Phillips and, and Tim Russ play off very well together. Um, and I am, I just as a side note, I'm also really showing off this week that I can remember actors names, but I I would have liked the show, I think, to remember that Tuvix happened. Yes, because in a way, that kind of goes a bit towards explaining the rift between Neelix and Tuvok. I can see Tuvok... For Neelix, I could see this being as a, well, we were literally the same person, so we should be best friends now that we're, symbol- that, that we're separated. And from Tuvok's point of view... He showed too, he showed Neelix a little too much. He was a little too intimately connected to that him, and he's a bit embarrassed about that, and so has been avoiding that. And I do think there is an episode that needs to be made about the fact that there is a weird rift between them, and even though Neelix is... I mean, Neelix really respects and admires Tuvok. He, he, he thinks the world of him, and... This episode really does get to the core of kind of some sadness that Neelix is implicitly feeling that, again, this guy who he was literally mashed together with that he thinks is the coolest person on the ship 
doesn't want to give him the, the time of day and is only courteous to him because Tuvok will never be less than courteous for no, you know, if he has no reason to be. And again, from Neelix's point of view, that's really disheartening. And it's good to see the episode going into that. It would be nice to, again, a show that remembered its own history would say, listen, I know we were made, would make that subtext text. Yeah, and I and I I don't even know if it's subtext. I mean, I think that that a lot of it is just not there at all, which I think yeah. is unfortunate. You know, there there is a way to to make a a largely standalone, you know, television series and still have subtext. I mean, TNG did it very well. I think that the X Files does it pretty well. Uh, this show does not do it very well, and 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 that's that's sad yeah. and unfortunate. But but it is what we have. I I do think that there is. I think there's something hypocritical on on Neelix's part that, that this episode does make clear for me, though, which is that, you know, part of what is so interesting about Vulcans, and I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but but I really like them, and I think you really like yeah. them, too, is that they do have this contradiction. They do have this, you know, they, they feel things very deeply, but they need to hide it behind logic. Otherwise, they're going to, yeah. you know, I guess, rape and murder everyone. And that is something that Neelix fundamentally has never really understood, I don't think. And he has always tried to get Tuvok to act more like him. Yeah. But but what is interesting about that to me is that we already kind of know that the Neelix personality that he portrays is is an affectation. You know, yeah. this this is in reality a man who is you know deeply scarred, lost his entire family in a horrible war, yeah. had an existential crisis after he died. He's very afraid of being alone. He's a very like sort of depressed person, but he he affected this sort of happy go lucky personality. Yeah. And I again, think part like- of it is. I mean, I don't know that any of this is intentional on the part of the Star Trek Voyager writers, but I I do think there's a little bit of projection on Neelix's part going on here. Maybe so. I mean, Neelix definitely puts on this persona because that's the persona that he wants to have. If he could wave a magic wand, he would be naturally cheerful. Again, just as Luxana Troy is somebody who, if she, you know, enjoys being, you get the sense even before, you know, before. You got the sense with Locks on a Troy, even before her daughter's death, she always liked parties and having fun and enjoy and she really enjoyed life and she kind of doubled down into it. So it's not an unnatural persona, really. It's a but 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 it is an amplification in order to hide things. And for Neelix, I mean this is somebody who didn't want to fight in the army. You get the sense he was not really a he was never an angry person. He probably was just a dude who enjoyed hanging out with his friends. He loved his family. He liked food. He liked all of the, you know, he, Neelix, you get the sense, was probably kind of a happy-go-lucky slacker before everything went to shit. And so he is trying to, uh, uh, the persona of the guy who everybody loves, who everybody enjoys, who's helping everybody have a good time, and who is there for everybody is how he is and how he wants to be, but it is something that he clings to as a way of avoiding himself. I mean, it, this is another episode where Neelix has nothing to do and he's going crazy, and then suddenly he has a project for a friend and he is a dog with a bone and he is going to solve this and he is going to fix this and he is going to spend every waking hour dealing with this. And again, Neelix is somebody who will do anything for a friend. That is natural. That is legitimately part of the man's core. But... 
he doesn't take time for himself because he is unable to because then that's when he hears his dead sister's voice, you know? Yeah, I I think that's right because one of the things that I always find so fascinating about Neelix is the show doesn't do this very often. I think this is mostly Ethan Phillips, but he he does this thing where once like if he's in the if he's in the the mess hall, for example, and and he's you know counseling someone, and then they leave, you can see his face change, and yeah. like he suddenly becomes this sort of like depressed person, yeah, because no one is around, and he doesn't need to you know put this put this yeah. face on, which I find fascinating, yeah, and, and I think that the other part of this episode that I mean this this episode in particular is is very interesting to me because it really indicates to me how much Neelix wants a buddy. Like, yeah. it's sad, right? Neelix had Cass and, and mm. that relationship had its problems. And I think that, you know, now that we have five and a half seasons of Neelix, I think that we can say that a lot of the... the, the and, I you know, I'm not, I'm not defending his jealousy. It was inappropriate and, and wrong. No, no, but no, but... At the same time, I think it was coming from a place of, oh, Cass is the one person in my life that I can talk yeah. to. She is the person that keeps me grounded, and I don't want to lose her. And so that, I believe, is where that jealousy was coming from. But Neelix doesn't really have close relationships with anybody on the ship except for no. you know Naomi Wildman, and she's like a six-year-old girl. So it's not really appropriate for him to you know, have dark nights of the soul with Naomi Wildman. And frankly, Naomi Wildman is getting a little older and Naomi Wildman now thinks that seven of nine is the coolest person on the ship. I mean, definitely, uh, Neelix was a, the, the big figure of her childhood and she will always love uncle Neelix, but you know, now, now she needs a different, she, she's at an age when she needs a, a little different role model and she is picking. And that is, I mean, that's really sad, too. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that, that Riddles also does just once again show that, that Ethan Phillips and, and Tim Russ do have a lot of chemistry together. Yeah. I think part of the reason why Voyager kind of locked into this Neelix Tuvok relationship is because it does work very well. Yeah. Uh, both, and, again, both on the level of the actors and just on paper as... You know, one's an ingratiating guy who's who, who 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 is tamping down his emotions by helping everybody, and the other is a Vulcan. And and in a way, they do have that core where they are putting on that mask again. Tuvok is a logical person, Tuvok, but it's his way of handling his feelings of extreme rage. They both have the capability of having their emotions get the better of them to disastrous effect. All right, well, let's talk about Tuvok then, because. I think this is a much better episode for Neelix than it actually is for Tuvok, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but I, I think I'm right. Do you agree with me? Or no, not? it makes sense because this is, uh, again, while this is a version that will get integrated into the real Tuvok, this isn't the real Tuvok. This is a this is an amnesia episode, really, and um, so 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 it is a different version of him and one which reflects more on who Neelix is. Um, This version of Tuvok is the exact person that Neelix loves to have, which is to say somebody who is, frankly, completely dependent on him and taking social cues and hobby ideas from him. I mean, this is is Neelix's little brother for a while, and certainly while Neelix enjoys having him... It's not the Tuvok that he does love and respect, and he does recognize that 
you know, to want this version of Tuvok is a little selfish. To there, there is the real Tuvok that is what even Tuvok himself would want. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I, I, I think to some respects, though, I think the episode it, it, it's not like Neelix is is leading Tuvok, yeah, into doing things that Neelix would enjoy. You know, because what what's interesting to me about the ways in which Tuvok acts in this episode is that. Neelix is not really pushing him towards any particular area. And in fact, I mean, early on in the episode, once Tuvok is, is injured, uh, yeah. you know, Neelix is trying to, to have him play the, uh, the, 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 you know, the Vulcan game with, with Kim, for instance. Yeah, taking um, him on the bridge and showing him his old station. Yeah, I mean, the way that he gets Tuvok into baking, I can guarantee was, like, desperate for something to do. He shows him his kitchen, and Tuvok's all, oh, can I try, and going from that, and discovering the snack for Vulcan desserts, for weird desserts. And I, yeah, and I, I mean, I don't think it's really a, a, an issue necessarily that, that nothing really sticks with Tuvok. I think that, you know, obviously the end of the episode mm-hmm. where, you know, Tuvok comes up with this secondary answer to the riddle that opened the, the, the episode is indicative that, you know, this, this, this experience has changed Tuvok yeah. at least a little bit. He's more open to, to experience a little bit. But and more open to I, showing the people that he does care about that he, he does care about them. This is not a grand effusive gesture of friendship again, but it is Tuvok trying. Yeah, because Tuvok even kind of is taken aback by it or taken a little bit by surprise when, when Neelix says, well, you know, that's not a very logical answer. And Tuvok is like, oh, right, it's not. <laughs> and I, I think that's one of the... You know, I like this episode, but I, like I said before, but I think that one of the only failings of it for me is that I don't get a sense of what we are supposed to take away from this in terms of Tuvok. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that Tuvok has really consciously learned anything from this experience. You know, there's there's a little bit of it, which is a little bit of a brain damage analogy. and. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how comfortable I am with that because well, I'm not sure if it would be analogy because I think they do specifically say he has brain damage from this weapon. I mean, I I I, I do think that that's happened. So if he is acting well, as if he's brain damaged, he is okay. Brain damage. I mean, more like a, a, a cognitive cognitive mm, impairment. Okay, fair. I guess is is a better answer. Like you know, a, a sort of like. Down syndrome or or something like that, and I, I feel a little uncomfortable with that because, of course, then you start getting into territory when actors play mental yeah. handicaps and they're not mentally handicapped. And I'm sorry if that's not the right phrase, um, but it's just kind of strange, and I don't know because it would be one thing if Tuvok just had amnesia, right? But he doesn't. Like there would be a way to play Tuvok. Yeah. as having amnesia and still being in control of his full mental faculties. But but that's not what the episode does. So yeah. I, I don't know what we're supposed to take away from that necessarily in terms of Tuvok's story. I mean, maybe it's simply a Tim Russ portrayal in a way. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I think they are trying to go into the direction of... Uh, of for a Vulcan, what would be a symbol? Uh, w- for a Vulcan, what would be emblematic of 
a, a, a severe mental illness would be a lack of control of emotions. I mean, when we see Sarek in uh, his TNG episode, that is exactly what is happening to him. Uh, his, his mental control is beginning to break down. And in some ways, uh, Tuvok is taking taken back to a much more childlike version of himself, one before he was able to develop that through meditation. And we frankly have seen uh, Tuvok in that situation before. We have seen flashbacks to what he was like as a teenager. And that's not far off from the version of Tuvok that we have here. It is kind yeah. of one who has had his entire adult life erased. So, and yeah, I mean, we, maybe that's part of it. He is just acting much more childlike. And when we see an adult acting childlike, we, that, that is how we will make assumptions on that. Yeah, that that's certainly fair, and I, I I think that that might be part of it. I, I I kind of wish that the episode had not actually explicitly said brain damage in that instance. I think it might have been stronger if it had been amnesia, because there's a couple different types of amnesia, right? There's amnesia of skills, and there's amnesia of memory, and this is definitely more of the amnesia of skills and memory yeah. together, because Tuvok doesn't really remember anybody on board Voyager he has to kind of be told who people are and he also yeah. doesn't have any of the skills in terms of of performing his duties on Voyager or even in terms of the skills that Vulcans learn to to control their emotions and I kind of wish that the episode had picked one or the other yeah. because as it stands it kind of comes across as a clumsy analogy of brain damage and Again, it's not super interesting, and I don't really know what we're supposed to take away from it. I guess part of it is, because there are still things that he does have, uh, the scene when he draws the frequency on the cake, for example, that's a weird muscle memory thing. Even the ability to come up with these combinations, I mean, from the perspective of someone who's a cook, this is kind of like molecular gastronomy kind of stuff that he's making, stuff that on the face does not belong in a dish together, but the way the chemical compounds and the foods interact or, or balance each other out does come to something very delicious. I mean, it is a, it does seem to be a, uh, what we know of Vulcan art and culture, they do have a very, uh, rich artistic and cultural history. This is not a, uh, culture that does not appreciate aesthetics, but it's very Apollonian art and it's very, functional almost i mean their game is about realizing perfection the sculptures that we see are very geometric and uh depicting mathematical principles kinds of things and so i can certainly see vulcan vulcan having a strong culinary tradition you do need to eat but probably not much of a dessert tradition because you don't need to eat dessert you know we're going to give you your nutrition and calories in a very formally pleasing way that uh, all the senses can appreciate, but you don't need a slice of yeah. cake. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to the episode's credit, I think that is what it is trying to do with the beginning and the ending of the episode with the answer to the riddle. Because, you know, like you said, Vulcan society and Vulcan culture and, 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 and yeah. sort of the Vulcan mysticism and everything that goes along with that does have a very sort of analytical, cold, you know, mechanical, mechanistic, yeah. mathematical sort of thing. This is a very deliberative culture. And I don't get a sense from anything that we've ever seen on Star Trek in terms of Vulcans that they have any sort of flashes of insight or anything like that. And I think the riddle answer is a little bit going towards that where 
Tuvok is having a little bit more of what we would consider, uh, you know, almost a, I'm not sure how to put it, but... Yeah, yeah, no, well... Intuition or something like that, right? Well, jokes, at least uh, human humor, and I'm thinking about some uh, references made in Babylon 5, but... um, Humor generally uh, in the American tradition goes from incongruity, right? Like this is – that's not how a thing is supposed to be. Therefore, it's funny and uh, that that doesn't make any sense from a Vulcan's point of view because Vulcan's is – because logic is based on deriving stuff from a principle. So you have a situation and you're spinning it out and while we would find it funny to get something illogical – I mean illogic is funny. A lot of humor is based around a logic, and that doesn't really make any sense in a culture that is that's illogical for a culture that is so based on logic. And maybe and, not. And that is also, of- I think, a lot of where humor in terms of Vulcan and Vulcan and human interactions on Star Trek come from, right? Where yeah. a Vulcan gives the logical answer, but that is not the answer that a human would give. Yeah. So there's an incongruity coming from that, and that's why. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. yeah. Uh, where a human and Starfleet in particular would view the emotional side as the thing that you value and doing the cold analytical side as the, as the wrong way. And that clash between that and also a lot of the Vulcan certainty that logic is. um, Yeah. Again, and I, I I mean, I really like Voyager's take on Vulcans. Tuvok is a really interesting character. I told you this entire time. We, I, I bet on the right horse. He is the best character in Voyager after Neelix. Don't mm. write us letters. Uh, well, I think the, the last thing I want to say about, about Tuvok, and then we can move on to, to wrapping this episode up, is that I w- like this episode makes me wish that Voyager had more of a DS9-style mm. approach to its characters because yeah. I like this. I like the fact that Tuvok has maybe taken some some intuition, some skills out of this in terms of of taking things and, and, and not exactly being logical about it. I mean, baking is one thing, making desserts is one thing, but this could spill over into his tactical abilities yeah. as well, where he's a little more inventive. But the issue, of course, is that that's probably not going to happen because each episode of Voyager is very atomized. Yeah, I, I, I mean... A lot in a lot of ways, they remind me a bit of Odo and Quark, who were, you know, and, and certainly they have different relationships than they. But it was two people who were on the face of it, opposed to each other, and there's a lot that really just goes against everything they stand for. But at the same time, they like each other. They do enjoy they they enjoy butting heads. This is somebody who is, even though they're just as opposed to them. They're on their same level, so you know Odo and Odo and Quark were equals, and that's why they pissed each other off so much. And I think Tuvok and Neelix are as good at their respective jobs, and that's why they piss each other a little off a bit because, yeah, in some ways, like from Tuvok's view, Neelix is doing it all wrong, and same thing from Neelix's point of view. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, the last thing we should mention, we would be remiss if we did not mention that this is the first episode of television ever directed by Roxanne Dawson, a.k.a. Belana Torres. I think she does a great job. And this was the, this was the start of a, a long and illustrious television directing career for her. Yeah, I looked it up and she does did a couple of minor things after Voyager, but this was her last major project. And then 
kind of transition into just directing full time. So good for her. Yeah. I don't I don't think she directed an episode of Discovery. Jonathan Frakes did, but yeah. I don't believe she did. So I would like to see her do one. So maybe maybe that'll be in the works uh, for season two. We'll have to I, find out. I mean, they're certainly d- 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 desperately trying to get as much pedigree as they can out of this. So I, I, I certainly don't think that I, I, I would assume she'll be given a call. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on Alice or Riddles, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. As I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash truckaboutshow is where you can go. Yes, you listening to this right now on your phone, tablet, PC. Is there any other way to connect to the internet? Probably. Patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Give us money. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we are there. Truck About Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for this podcast. It is the best way for new fans to find the show. I'm letting Richard off the hook this week. He doesn't have to say it. All right, not next week and not the week after. In three weeks, we will be talking about Dragon's Teeth and one small step coming to you on August 14th.